You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord Good morning. Good to be with you today. Welcome to those of you who are our guests today and welcome to those of you online with us as well. It's a good day to get together and worship God and remember the resurrection of Jesus our Lord. Very glad uh, that, that we can be here together. If you have your Bible with you, or if you're looking at your Bible online, uh, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 9, and Luke chapter 23 will be there uh, in just a minute. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pews, uh, the page numbers are written in the, the bulletin on the front page of the bulletin you'll, uh, to help you find uh, our text this morning. We'll have it up on the screen as well. I want to begin by linking the resurrection of Jesus to an event in the history of ancient Israel. And I want to do this, first of all, with a song. And so let's go ahead and put the song up on the screen. And if you know it, sing it with me. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, the anger of the Praise God together. That song comes directly out of Psalm 124. 
And that psalm and this song remember one of the first great defining moments of Israel's history. The exodus from slavery in Egypt into a life of freedom in the promised land. Those of us who have been reading through the Bible together this year uh, read through that, the story of the exodus several weeks ago now. The Egyptians had enslaved the Israelites for a long time, but God set Israel free. But the Egyptians still pursued them, and the mighty Egyptian army trapped the nation of Israel against the Red Sea, and there was nowhere for Israel to go. They were going to be recaptured, re-enslaved for sure. But then God parted the sea, led Israel through it on dry ground, and then when the Egyptians tried to cross too, God brought the water back to its place, and the army of Egypt was destroyed, and Israel was free. And ever since that day, Israel has been able to say, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, the anger of the enemy would have swallowed us alive. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, the waters would have engulfed us. We would have surely died. And that was Israel's story. God, by his mighty power, had given them a great exodus from slavery into freedom, into life blessed by their God in the promised land. The man who led Israel that day was Moses. But unfortunately, Moses died just before Israel entered the promised land. He didn't get to go in himself. But that was not Moses' last appearance in human history. Because, see, we believe that God created us as beings who are both physical and spiritual. Unlike animals, we have bodies, but we also have souls. If animals have souls or spirits, that has not been revealed to us. Certainly, it's at least not in the same way. We're a sort of glorious hybrid of the spiritual and the physical, and God made us that way on purpose. And so when the body dies, the spirit is still there. The spirit lives on. For we are created in God's image. God is spirit, and so are we. Moses' body died, but his spirit lived on. And we believe that God, who created life in the first place, is able to watch over the spirits of those who have passed on and to raise the dead and give us new bodies. And so one day, some 1,400-ish years after Moses died, he reappeared alive and glorified in a form that human beings could see. So here's the story out of Luke chapter 9. Moses is in this story. So too is the great prophet Elijah. But as great as these two men were, the star of the story here is Jesus. This is Luke 9 beginning in verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. 
Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Moses, though he had died centuries earlier, was still alive. So too was Elijah, who lived about 800 years before Jesus, almost 900. The two of them together are widely considered to be the greatest prophets in Israel's history, great men of God. But it is Jesus about whom God himself speaks and says, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Jesus is even greater than Moses and Elijah. I've always wanted to know what Moses and Elijah and Jesus were talking about there on the mountain as these two men came from heaven to join with him and just, and just chat, just talk. And the books of Matthew and Mark in our Bibles, they, don't tell us, they tell us this story, but they don't tell us what the three were talking about. But Luke gives us one hint. He says in verse 31, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, you may already know uh, this part of the Bible was originally written in the Greek language. That's what Luke wrote his book in. The Greek word that he uses for departure is exodus. Exodus. There were other words he could have chosen, more common words for a departure or leaving, but that's the word that he chose to use. And it's an interesting choice because it intentionally recalls the exodus of Israel, but now with a new application. Now, Jesus is going to experience an exodus at Jerusalem. He and Moses and Elijah are talking about it, maybe getting Jesus ready for it. Well, what, what is this exodus? What was Jesus' exodus? Well, the big thing that happens at Jerusalem a bit later is a sequence of events. His death, his resurrection, and then his ascension into heaven. In Israel's exodus... God gave the nation escape from Egyptian oppression and slavery into freedom in the promised land. In Jesus' exodus, though he died, God gave him escape from the power of sin and death. He died, but God raised him from the dead. And so now here is the story that we delight to celebrate at this time every year on the anniversary of the death and resurrection of Jesus our Lord. Try to think of these events as Jesus' exodus. We'll read now from Luke 23, beginning in verse 32. Luke 23, verse 32. <clears throat> Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. 
The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Jesus, the Son of God, was caught, taken captive by the power of death. He died on a cross. The sun went dark in those last three hours that he was on the cross as his body was failing. The great curtain of the temple was torn in two. And he died. Jesus was God's son, impervious to death by his very nature. Yet he became subject to the power of death just as we are when he was born as a human being like us. So on the cross, he suffered terribly. And at his last breath, his body failed. And Jesus died. He was subject to the power of death. Death became his master and his oppressor at that moment. And behind the power of death is the power of sin. For at the beginning of human history, God had told Adam and Eve, our ancestors, that if they disobeyed him, the result would be death. No one can do evil and have eternal life. 
Jesus. He did no evil at all. And yet, in becoming human like us, he subjected himself to the power of sin and death. And so he suffered on the cross. He died. And his body was laid in a tomb. But he had an exodus coming. And so let's continue reading. Chapter 24, verse 1. <clears throat> On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Jesus died, but God raised him from the dead. Jesus fell under the control and oppression of sin and death, but like ancient Israel, he had an exodus coming. Friday, he died. Saturday, his body rested in the tomb. Then on the first day of the week, his body was gone from the tomb, and a pair of angels told the women that he had risen. God had raised Jesus back to life. And so death could not keep its hold on Jesus. Just as we sang a few minutes ago, death cannot keep his prey. Jesus, my Savior. He tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord. And because death could not hold him, because death could not stop God from giving him life again, nothing can take his life away ever again. He lives forever. And if he lives forever, then his promise is true. Those who follow him will also live forever. We may die as he did, but we will also rise again as he did never to die again because Though the body dies, the spirit lives, and God is able to bring life to both again. And so it's not merely the reality-transforming event of the resurrection that we celebrate today, any more than it was the parting of the Red Sea that Israel celebrated when they remembered their exodus. But as Israel celebrated the freedom God gave them in their exodus, so we celebrate the freedom that God gives us in our exodus through the resurrection of Jesus. Because in his death and resurrection, Jesus shattered the power of sin and death in his own life and in our lives. And so the end result is that if we follow Jesus, and it's not automatic, there's an important if in there, if we follow Jesus, we experience an exodus too. Israel experienced an exodus. Jesus experienced an exodus. And through Jesus, we experience an exodus. Listen to what Jesus taught his followers when he appeared to them that same evening on Resurrection Sunday. Skipping down to chapter 24 and verse 36. <clears throat> Verse 
while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Jesus was killed, then raised from the dead. And it took a little convincing before his followers could believe it. At first they thought he was a ghost. I mean, who wouldn't? They'd seen him dead and now they saw him standing in front of them, just suddenly appeared there. But he showed them his hands and his feet. He ate some fish. And once they were convinced, he did some teaching with them so they would understand what God had done. God had fulfilled ancient prophecies. God had done just what he had said he would do. God had been working his plan out all along. And later, Jesus was taken up into heaven. And Peter will say in Acts chapter 2, several days after that, that Jesus in heaven is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus' exodus was his victory over sin and death through his crucifixion and resurrection, culminating in his enthronement at the right hand of God in heaven. And we have an exodus too. Jesus taught his followers that based on his death and resurrection, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. We who are caught in the oppressive control of sin and who must face the terrible reality of death have hope through Jesus. Through Jesus, we can escape the power of sin and death. Through Jesus, we can escape the control of sin in our lives and find new lives in God, our creator. Through Jesus, who is dead and who was raised again, we have real hope of eternal life beyond the grave. And this is our exodus. That just as Israel passed through the water of the Red Sea and came out into freedom from Egyptian oppression, so we pass through the water of baptism in the name of Jesus And come out of the water into freedom from the tyranny of sin and death because we are forgiven by God and no longer have to face his judgment. And for those who are forgiven by God, who live for God and not for sin, who put God first in their lives, Jesus promises eternal life 
we will be raised from the dead just as he was, free from the power of death, never to die again. A couple of weeks ago, while my family was on vacation in California, I got to visit again with my parents' minister at the Highland Church of Christ in Bakersfield, California. His name is Jovan Paez. I've mentioned him to you before and told you his story a little bit, how he grew up in urban San Francisco, got involved with a gang at the age of 15, because that's kind of what you did in his neighborhood. He told me more of his story a couple of weeks ago how he thought he was really something as a young man, going around attacking his enemies, defending his neighborhood, making trouble. He was caught up in this life until Jesus set him free from it a few years later. And God totally transformed his life. Now he's a husband, a father, a minister. He's a blessing in his community. God gave him an exodus through Jesus when he was trapped in sin, caught up in sin, and there was no way out. God gave him an exodus through Jesus, and he received a whole new life. And his story is our story. You don't have to be involved in a gang to be enslaved to sin. All sin enslaves us. It rips us away from God. It controls our actions and our hearts and our minds. It makes something in our lives more important to God so that we obey that first instead of God. Selfish living, rampant anger, gossip, materialism, putting our pleasures or our families ahead of God in our lives, being cowardly, being cruel to others, or even simply living what we think is a good life, but just sort of ignoring God and not letting him be in charge in our lives, not giving him his rightful place as God. All of this and every kind of sin turns us away from God. And then we find ourselves caught like Israel between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea with nowhere to go. On one side, we can't escape our sin. It controls us. It has us. We can't get away from it. It's not like we can just stop because we're not powerful enough without God. And on the other side, we can't escape God's judgment because we're caught up in sin. We've turned away from him. And so without Jesus, we have no hope. But in Jesus, to whom God gave an exodus from the power of sin and death, we have real hope. Because in his sacrifice for us on the cross, he pays for our sin and sets us free from fear of God's judgment. We come to Jesus. We repent of our sin, which means we turn away from it. We don't want any part of it anymore. And God forgives us on the grounds that Jesus, who himself was sinless, paid for our lives with his own. And so we have an exodus too. And this is what Jesus had in mind when he said, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. His exodus brings about our exodus. And our exodus is not just an escape from sin, but also an escape into the family of God and the promised land of eternal life. Israel escaped from slavery and into freedom in the promised land. Jesus escaped from death into life eternal. Through Jesus, we escape from the power of sin and death and from God's judgment into forgiveness, into the family of God, into a whole new life, and into the promised land of eternal life. And so we say along with Israel, through Christ, 
by the grace of God the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit, in the words of Psalm 124, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, the anger of the enemy would have swallowed us alive. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, 